There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. A sitting United States senator has now threatened this nation with, quote, riots in the streets. If Donald Trump is prosecuted, if there's a prosecution of Donald Trump for mishandling classified information after the Clinton debacle, which you presided over and did a hell of a good job, there'll be riots in the streets. Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina talking to the disgraced ex-congressman Trey Gowdy, now a host on Fox News Channel last night. Donald Trump took that clip and posted it on his account on the small social media platform he operates. He has endorsed riots in the streets. If you hoped for a moment that Lindsey Graham might have misspoken or been carried away or been drunk, he did not and was not. Sticking behind that fig leaf of that passive voice, he added in the same interview later, quote, there literally will be riots in the street. 
First of all, you cannot have a sitting United States senator threaten the peace of this nation with riots. And you cannot have a sitting United States senator try to blackmail the Department of Justice with the threat of violence. It is intolerable. It is unforgivable. It is cause for censure by the Senate and expulsion from the Senate. You cannot publicly encourage nor condone mass violence. It is what got the senators of the Confederacy expelled in 1861. If Lindsey Graham will not resign today, he must be expelled by the United States Senate. His words are the last thing a U.S. senator should ever say, but especially at this hour, no matter if he is being forced, coerced, or blackmailed into willing such violence into existence. Perhaps more importantly, I do not know when Lindsey Graham lost touch with reality, but Donald Trump is going to be prosecuted for mishandling classified information. And right now, he is almost certainly on track to be prosecuted for much, much worse. What do you say, Lindsey? If there's a prosecution of Donald Trump for espionage, will there be rioting in the streets? If there's a prosecution of Donald Trump for treason, will there be rioting in the streets? And behind all of that is the sheer arrogance and the utter ignorance of the disloyal, treacherous, scumbag fascists like Lindsey Graham and others in the Trump cult. Riots in the streets? Senator, who controls the federalization of the National Guard to suppress civil disorder in the streets, like Lindsey Graham's riots in the streets? Who has the troops, Senator? Who has the tanks, Senator? Who has the law on its side, Senator? These grotesque Civil War mongers never stop to think for a moment that they would be crushed. There will not be another January 6th in this country. And if the price of preserving the freedom of this nation is for the fascists and the authoritarians to riot in the streets in defense of a traitor, then they will have brought that upon themselves. And they will pay the price of making the gravest mistake in the history of this country since the Confederate states seceded. And that has to be made clear to the Lindsey Grahams of this country today and the Donald Trumps today. You riot, you lose, you pay for it. Because at the heart of all this tough talk is the desperate, cowardly, pathetic attempt to help Donald Trump escape justice by blackmail. As this week begins, it is clearer than ever before that Donald Trump has sold this country out. He has taken lists of the names of our foreign agents, informants, sources, even spies. He has almost certainly divulged them, possibly to the Russians. He has compromised the HCS, the Human Intelligence Control System, and he took HCS-marked documents. These would be acts of espionage. He would be a spy. He would have been treasonous to this country with its greatest secrets, with the lives of its most courageous heroes. He would then have to be prosecuted under 18 U.S. Code 794, quote, whoever communicates, delivers, or transmits to any foreign government, any document, writing, code book, sketch, photograph, photographic negative, blueprint, plan, map, model, note, instrument, appliance, or information relating to the national defense shall be punished by death or by imprisonment for any terms of years or for life, 
end quote, shall be punished by death. The emerging picture of the dozens and dozens of accusations of crimes of espionage against Trump suggests this could be a capital case. It must be prosecuted as such. It is frankly amazing to me that Trump has not yet been taken into custody and kept where we keep the suspected spies. Last year, summarized the New York Times, quote, a top secret memo sent to every CIA station around the world warned about troubling numbers of informants being captured or killed. End quote. Last year, September 2021, eight months after Trump left the White House with the documents he took, the secret documents of the highest possible classification of secrecy, so many of them bearing that mark HCS, Human Intelligence Control System. They vanish January 2021. The CIA warns its people worldwide of the dramatic rise in the numbers of informants being captured or killed September 2021. The allegations are there. Trump sold them out. Sold out their lives or gave them away for whatever reason. I don't give a goddamn about his reasons. And it could be Russia, could be Saudi Arabia, could be North Korea, could be all of them. But as ever, all the timelines, all the sequences, all the juxtapositions point to Russia. The reporter Jenny Cohn noted it at the time. July 31st, 2019, Trump spoke to Putin. On August 3rd, 2019, Trump asked the director of national intelligence, Dan Coats, for a list of our top spies. A list of our top spies. On August 12th, 2019, quoting the Washington Post, Trump's interaction with a foreign leader that was regarded as so troubling that it prompted an official in the U.S. intelligence community to file a formal whistleblower complaint. On September 10th, 2019, a Russian newspaper reported the name and location of a former Putin official living in suburban Washington, D.C., and just coincidentally suggested, quote, he may have been an American agent who was spirited out of Russia after providing information linking Putin to his country's campaign to interfere in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. Need more? The podcaster Tom Joseph noted this. Saturday night, on July 16, 2018, Trump infamously met with Putin in Helsinki, Putin was asked by the press about interfering with the 2016 American elections. He denied it. Trump was asked who he believed, his own American intelligence community, which said Russia did interfere, or the Russian dictator Putin. His answer was Putin. As Putin denied Russian interference, Trump nodded. July 16th, 2018. Four days later, July 20th, out of nowhere, the FBI sent out a three-tweet thread. Quote, in 1951, began the final tweet, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, David Greenglass, and Morton Sobel were each convicted of conspiracy to commit espionage in what was dubbed at the time as the trial of the century, end quote. The bureau included a link to the official FBI story of their treason, it was not the anniversary of any significant event in that timeline. There was no reason the FBI should have brought it up that day. As Tom Joseph wrote Saturday night, quote, a reminder to everyone that the FBI just kind of, sort of tweeted this. Four days after Trump bent the knee to Putin in Helsinki, these traitors 
passed nuclear secrets to Russia. In April of 2018, London's Daily Mail reported that the Saudi prince, Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, bragged that in October 2017, he had received classified U.S. intelligence from Jared Kushner. The paper quoted a source as saying Kushner, quote, took a list out of these people who had been trashing bin Salman in phone calls and said, quote, these are the ones who are your enemies. Days later, Salman rounded up hundreds of Saudis, torturing some, extorting others for money. The FBI agent Robert Hansen first became a Russian spy in 1979. He stole and sold thousands of documents. He compromised the names of Russian agents working secretly for the United States. The Russians executed many of them. Hansen sold American strategies in the event of nuclear war. He sold counterintelligence details. He sold weapons specifications, anything he could find. Finally, he was arrested in 2001, and he pleaded guilty to avoid the death penalty for his crimes, his espionage, his mishandling of classified documents. He is serving 15 consecutive life sentences. Aldridge Ames began selling secrets to Russia in 1985. His crimes were similar to those of Hansen. He was arrested in 1994. At least 10 American sources died because of Aldridge Ames. He is serving life in prison without the possibility of parole. At the other end of this spectrum, in 2020, a Defense Department employee on temporary assignment at the embassy in Manila named Asia Lavarello took a few secret documents back to the hotel where she was staying. She also kept in her office desk notes of meetings pertaining to confidential secret level materials. There was never the slightest indication nor allegation of malicious intent. She just did not get the rules about mishandling classified information. She just screwed up. She got three months in prison. The director of national intelligence, Avril Haines, has taken the extraordinary step of telling House chairs that her office will now evaluate the damage and the potential risk of damage to the national defense caused by Trump's taking the classified documents. Juliet Kayyem, who was our go-to national security analyst in my days at MSNBC and now serves in that role at CNN, says there is only one reason such an assessment would be made and that the House would be notified of it, to find out how many American agents and sources have been compromised and to try to save them before other governments find them and kill them, quoting her. That would be primary, Juliet said on CNN yesterday, just to protect human life. As Ryan Goodman from Just Security notes, the affidavit for the Mar-a-Lago search warrant virtually convicts Trump of obstruction of justice and the attempt to conceal classified documents as a start. On June 8th, he notes, the Department of Justice warned Trump's lawyers to keep all the documents in the storage room at Mar-a-Lago. In the affidavit, which is August 5th, probable cause has been found that the documents are now in other rooms. In the search itself, August 8th, documents were found in Trump's office and in Trump's bedroom. The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette has broken a story of a woman calling herself Anna de Rothschild, who conned her way into Mar-a-Lago and played golf with Trump and Lindsey Graham, and the three of them 
are pictured together making the stupid MAGA thumb up their ass gesture on the course at Mar-a-Lago in May 2021. The problem, her real name is not Anna de Rothschild. Her real name is Inna Yashizhin, and she is a Russian-speaking Ukrainian. The FBI interviewed her 10 days ago. Canada has been investigating her since February. How could she have ever made it? past Trump's impregnable wall of security at Mar-a-Lago. How could she have ever fooled the bringer of riots, Lindsey Graham? Then there is the issue of the special master. Trump's Trump-appointed judge in Florida says she is leaning towards ordering one to see if anything was improperly taken in the search of Mar-a-Lago. She wants a Justice Department answer by tomorrow and plans a hearing Thursday. The fix may be in but it also may be too late. The search was three weeks ago today. The issue is essentially moot. The DOJ and DNI presumably have all the evidence they need, and no special master can shove the toothpaste back up Donald Trump's tube. Moreover, a special master who can review documents carrying the highest possible secrecy classification? You think you can just get one delivered by Uber? It could be weeks or months before such a person could be found. More importantly, Trump's grandstanding suit gives the Department of Justice the legal opportunity to refute all of Trump's bullcrap in this nonsensical suit or to express in a detailed way the gravity of the crimes for which it is already investigating Trump. We may now legally learn things Merrick Garland could not previously have told us. We could learn it tomorrow. We could learn it Thursday. In closing, I will repeat what I said Friday after a different Trump-friendly Fox guest said that the levels of secret classification suggested that Trump may have taken things like nuclear strike retaliation options or lists of American agents and sources. He got the second one right. We will see about the first. But as I said then, I repeat now, whatever you think this is, just assume it is far worse than you have imagined or could possibly imagine. And remember what Lindsey Graham said to Fox. If there's a prosecution of Donald Trump for mishandling classified information after the Clinton debacle, which you presided over and did a hell of a good job, there'll be riots in the streets. Trump will be prosecuted, Lindsey. And if you get the riots you want, Senator Graham, please make sure to be there, up front, where the authorities can see you. Still ahead on Countdown, as ever, tough to transition from that to anything else. But an American president's approval ratings just went up. It is also the anniversary of the first Countdown special comment. And I'll tell you how James Gandolfini unintentionally helped to write it. No, I did not buy that baseball card. And Donald Trump Jr. appears to be obsessed with Donald Trump Sr.'s crotch. That's next. This is Countdown. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. 
The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Coming up, James Gandolfini never knew it, but he helped me to write the first Countdown special comment 16 years ago today. Plus, Marco Rubio says he paid off his student debt with the book he wrote that he didn't write. God, is this guy stupid. First, in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need whom you can help. Every dog has its day. Florence in Philadelphia is a Pibble Terrier mix puppy. She was in the kill shelter there. She was adopted and then she was returned, but she was returned with both of her front legs shattered. The claim is she fell while running in the backyard. It's palpable nonsense. She's been harmed. Outcast Rescue is the 501c3 nonprofit trying to get Florence well. But this will be surgery, pins in the legs, physical therapy twice a week, a lot to do and a lot of money needed. It will take months. Outcast is doing a fundraiser for Florence on Cuddly. To find out more about Florence and how you can contribute, check my Twitter feed for Dogs in Need, at TomJumboGrumbo. Look for the tweet about Florence, and if you can't donate, just retweeting it can make a huge difference. And thank you. (laughs) 
Coming up on Countdown, baseball just finished killing off the hidden reason the World Series used to draw 40 million TV viewers each game. No, I did not buy the mantle card. And why is Donald Trump Jr. obsessed with daddy's groin? First, postscripts to the news, some headlines, some thoughts, some snark. Dateline, 524 West 57th Street, New York. Joe Biden's presidential approval ratings have risen again in the CBS News poll. He's up to 45 percent. For contrast, Trump's high point was 47 and Trump left office at 34. If Joe had said fascist instead of semi-fascist, he would be at 51, 52, 53, easy. Dateline Washington, Axios and others report a new updated COVID vaccination will be approved this week and available as soon as next week. It will supposedly be more effective against Omicron. It will also supposedly be the last free COVID vaccination. And you can read that one of two ways. Either we are moving towards a place where we treat COVID like flu. Hey, you know, you should get a COVID shot, but it's your call. Or we are in big trouble. Dateline Carlisle, Pennsylvania, a 2013 dress-up photo of the faculty at the U.S. Army Heritage and Education Center in Carlisle has surfaced. Reuters got it first. It shows Pennsylvania gubernatorial candidate Doug Mastriano of the Republican Fascist Party in a Confederate uniform. Mastriano is a state senator representing Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, which the Confederates burned to the ground in 1864, which fits because that's what Mastriano is trying to do to Pennsylvania this time, too. Dateline Taipei City. After a visit there, Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, Musha, slammed roundly for calling the people of Taiwan, quote, the Taiwans in a tweet. Turns out this is a thing by Republicans. No explanation offered. Last month, Republican Congressman Mike Gallagher called them the Taiwans. And in a 2020 press briefing, an unidentified Trump administration official also called them the Taiwans. We think it's a thing. It just also could be explained by the fact that they're all stupid. Dateline Conroe, Texas. Lucas Bowen has been arrested for attempted online solicitation of a minor for sex. Ordinarily, not much of a national news story, except at the time, Bowen was, what else? The political director of the Texas Right to Life group. The, quote, pro-life, unquote, organization then fired him, purged him from its records, deleted entire web pages featuring him, including the page where he was the Texas Right to Life training director for college students. And Dateline Madison, Wisconsin. In an appearance on Fox News, Senator Ron Johnson tells Maria Bartiromo, quote, People in Wisconsin think I'm a tool of Vladimir Putin. And? And? This is Sports Center. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. In sports, okay, to answer the texts and emails from my friends, no, I did not buy the mint condition graded 9.5 out of 10 1952 Tops Mickey Mantle card that Heritage Auctions says it sold for $12,600,000 yesterday. 
nor did I sell it. I already have three copies of that card. I've had one since 1972. I've got one with some neat printer's marks on the side, and I have another autographed by Mickey Mantle. Also, I hate graded cards. I hate them. Somebody else is not buying Fernando Tatis's ringworm excuse for using steroids. Adidas Sporting Goods has fired him as a spokesman, quoting them, We believe that sports should be fair. We have a clear policy on doping and can confirm that our partnership with Fernando Tatis Jr. will not continue. Just guessing, I do not think the Tatis steroid scandal is over yet. And speaking of baseball, did you know that there used to be two baseball leagues? With the release of its 2023 Major League schedules, the American and National Leagues have effectively ceased to exist. It's not literally true, not yet anyway, but the number of games played against the other league has jumped from 20 this year to 46 next year as expected. In other words, three out of every 10 games will now pit teams that are not competing with each other for a playoff spot. As recently as 1996, the number of games out of every 10 that didn't matter head-to-head was none out of every 10. The premise of the regular season, every team plays every other team in its league, the same number of games for every team, that has almost completely vanished. The regular season used to establish who was best based on identical schedules. You played the Red Sox 22 times a year. I played the Red Sox 22 times a year. It was about the closest thing you could ever get of a fair assessment of who was best, unless everybody played the entire season all in the same day. This interleague schedule, which is picked almost randomly, deranged this. If you played the Red Sox six times a year and I didn't have to play them at all, and the Red Sox were really good, that was six tougher games I did not have to play. If the Red Sox were really bad, that was six easier games that I didn't get to play. To some degree or other, each World Series winner since they instituted interleague play in 1997 has been determined by how easy or difficult their interleague schedule was. And their interleague schedule was based mostly on TV ratings. Although this new interleague schedule in which everybody plays everybody else once a year is closer to being fair, it still isn't fair because each team will also play one other team twice for TV ratings. But the new schedule is truly repugnant for a reason that the people running baseball have never understood and will never understand. The idea that there were two leagues whose teams never played each other except in the World Series was the hidden essence of baseball's appeal for a century. The American and National Leagues, unlike every other subdivision in every other sport, are not artificial creations, not arbitrary bunchings of team like the NBA Eastern Conference or the National Hockey League Metropolitan Division. The National League was founded in 1876. It fought off rival businesses called the American Association, the Union Association, the Players League. Then in 1901, the American League was founded. It stole nearly all of the National League's stars by paying them higher salaries. And though the leagues officially ended their war in 1903, as late as a dispute in the offseason of 1920, the Boston Red Sox, Chicago White Sox, and New York Yankees quit the American League and joined the National League. Obviously, they fixed that and everybody went back to where they were. The two leagues reinstituted the World Series between the champions of the two leagues, which had been abandoned in 1890, and the sport flourished. The midseason All-Star Game, American League Heroes versus National League Heroes, was introduced in 1933, and the sport continued to flourish. 
But the people in the American League hated the people in the National League and vice versa. The two leagues had their own umpires, their own baseballs, their own strike zones, their own headquarters in their own cities until 1959. 1959. It was illegal for an American League team to trade any of its players to a National League team unless every team in the American League had agreed to let those players leave the American League. They were not friendly rivals, and there were American League fans and National League fans, and each remained completely convinced that some of the stars in the other league were good players, but most of them were just wannabes who could not make it in our league. At the All-Star Game, league presidents promised bonuses to players if their team won. And fans actually bet on the All-Star Game, which was played to the death. And when World Series time came around, everybody, everybody had a rooting interest in the World Series. If you were a Yankees fan and the Tigers were in the World Series, you rooted for the Tigers. If you were a Mets fan and the Cardinals were in the World Series, you rooted for the Cardinals. Now, if they were a hated regular season rival, think Yankees and Red Sox or Dodgers and Giants, you could root against the team in your league. But either way, you had a rooting interest in the World Series, even if your team had finished last. You stayed home to watch the game in the middle of a weekday. The first World Series that I traveled to cover as a professional, 1980, the Kansas City Royals against the Philadelphia Phillies, six games involving a large TV market versus a tiny TV market, it averaged, per game, 42,300,000 TV viewers because it was the World Series. And nobody had ever seen the Royals play the Phillies before. There was no interleague play, and neither team had ever won the World Series before. And with some exceptions, if you were an American League fan, you rooted for the Kansas City Royals in that World Series. And if you were a National League fan, you rooted for the Philadelphia Phillies. And look, I know as well as anybody that a lot has changed in sports and television since 1980. But that World Series averaged 42 million viewers per game. And they got 55 million for the decisive sixth game. And last year, the World Series averaged 11 million viewers per game. And quick, who played in it? Dodgers in Tampa Bay, right? No, that was, that was the year before. Baseball managed to destroy the organic rooting interest in the World Series that had developed over 50 years because, A, it already seemed like all the American League teams had played all the National League teams during the season anyway because of interleague play, and now they will actually have all played each other anyway. And, B, the schedule has been rendered meaningless as a way of being certain that the best teams are in the World Series, and, C, because baseball is not two separate leagues of 10 or 12 or 14 teams each, but just one big mess of 30 teams, the odds that it will be your team playing in the World Series have dropped from 10 to 1 to 15 to 1. And D, there are no more American League fans and no more National League fans. So unless it is your personal team in the World Series, why would you watch? I watched last year. A couple of times I changed the channel and watched my hockey team instead. And I, a baseball fan for 56 seasons and the former TV host of the World Series, had to go look up who played in the most recent World Series. It was the Braves over the Astros. The Braves won, apparently. 
Still ahead, this is the anniversary of the day I wrote Longhand on a Plane, the first ever countdown special comment. But this thing I promised not to tell is of the role in its creation played not by me, but by the late actor James Gandolfini. First, the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze, Kim Crockett, the Republican's Minnesota crazy cat candidate for secretary of state. CNN unearthed a 2021 radio interview in which Kim Crockett said of her hallucinations of fraud during the 2020 election, We are still the American people, and I'm betting on us. This is a challenge. Maybe we needed a wake-up call. This is our 9-11. Funny, I I always thought that maybe 9-11 was the American people's 9-11. That seems a little unpatriotic even for a Republican, but maybe she thinks of her party as representing a different country. Speaking of, the runner-up, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, the self-owns by Republicans over loan forgiveness, and let's save some time here and call them self-loans, are innumerable. But Rubio, as usual, has topped them all. The day I got elected to the Senate, he told Fox, I had over $100,000 still in student loans that I was able to pay off because I wrote a book. National Journal and Newsweek and a bunch of other organizations report Marco Rubio did not write the book he says he wrote. They say he hired a political strategist named Mark Salter to write, quote, his, unquote, book, and he may have used money from his pack to pay Salter. 20 grand in total. Mr. Big Spender, too. Marco is just not smart. But our winner, speaking of not smart, Junior Trump, after the release of the Mar-a-Lago search affidavit with its heavy use of the black box redaction bar, Donald Trump Jr. posted a photo of his father playing golf, but with a black box reduction bar going down from his belt buckle to his knees. And the caption, redact this. Jr. thinks he's praising what Carrie Lake referred to as BDE. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I looked at it and I said, hey, Jr., thanks for covering up the pee stain on Trump's pants. Donald, dad still doesn't love me, does he? Even after all this crap. Trump Jr., today's worst person in the world. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Finally, to our number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me and things I promised not to tell. The guy in the lounge at LAX had been watching me for about half of my walk to the seat, catty cornered to his. I wasn't actually paying attention to him. There was this troublesome news story I was reading on my phone. And this was maybe the second or third time in my life I had ever read any story on my phone since this was Tuesday, August 29th, 2006. And to read a news story on your phone way back then, that required a very special kind of phone and a very special kind of patience. But when I sat down, the gentleman spoke up. How you doing? A big meaty hand came towards mine. Like you work. It was James Gandolfini the actor. I put my phone down. I think I did my best to get a conversation going with him, something about The Sopranos, something about the story on my phone, nothing. He listened, he smiled, like you work, he repeated, and then he sat back into his chair. The guy traveling with him looked at me with a sympathetic shrug. I went back to my phone, and then not long after, somebody wandered into our corner of the lounge and started shouting with glee. Mr. Gandolfini, well, this is perfect. I have regards for you from Jensen Pfaff from Summerstock in Winooski, Vermont. James Gandolfini lit up like Christmas. Jensen Pfaff? You kidding? Then then you must be Chrismat Waldecker. How's Summerstock going in Winooski? Uh, are they doing Fiddler again? Who's playing Tevye? I'm making up the names. I'm not making up the enthusiasm. James Gandolfini, the embodiment of one of the single most complicated, one of the single most evil, one of the single most compelling characters in television history, Tony Soprano, talked to this guy for 30 minutes, up to and past boarding time for our flight to New York, about the history of the repertory comedies of the Northeast. When did they last do Our Town in Old Orchard Beach, Maine? Death of a Salesman. Was Clem Thorpe W. Frondorf III still running the stage for it? And did he start there in 1990 or was it 1991? And on 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 and on. 
My dreams of a thoughtful coast-to-coast political conversation with James Gandolfini were dashed. The man was an authority on summer stock. It brought him alive. It brought this other guy there alive. Gandolfini's traveling buddy, who later introduced himself while Gandolfini was in the bathroom as his bodyguard, said it really was like this. He's a good guy, but there are really only two topics he'll talk about, summer stock and Rutgers University football. I groaned. Tell me about it, he said. So, instead of talking to James Gandolfini, I went back to the phone and read this one disturbing story again. It was about the then-Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld, and it was about how any of us who disagreed with the Bush administration's policy in Iraq, or indeed just disagreed with the Bush administration itself, were morally or intellectually confused. It is 16 years later, and as I read this, I am still enraged at the nerve of this goddamned Rumsfeld to have said that, and to veterans of foreign wars, as I recall. Anyway, our takeoff kept getting pushed back and back, the drinks in first class kept getting pushed forward and forward, and my ire about Rumsfeld kept getting pushed upwards and upwards, and so... I took the few pages of my trip itinerary, and instead of talking to James Gandolfini about whichever Rutgers football players had also performed in summer stock, I scratched out what turned out to be a very long commentary in which I would run the next night on the TV version of this podcast, and I needed some name for this commentary that indicated that if I did any more, they were not going to be nightly events, so I called them special comments. And that's how James Gandolfini helped to create the special comment and indeed create, or at least recreate, Countdown. When we landed at JFK in New York, he shook my hand, said, like you work, for the third time, and I never saw him again. But he also factored in one of the worst 60 minutes of my life. Wednesday, June 19th, 2013, and please, don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that my day that day even compared remotely to that of others, certainly not compared to his day. I'm just saying I have never had another hour quite like this. I was at Yankee Stadium, the guest of friends for a Yankees game. We were in the restaurant, the all-you-can-eat restaurant, the bottomless pit of very good food restaurant, and I was visiting with a friend of mine, a New York City news anchor whose family owns a popular New York restaurant. The Yankees used to pay some of the city's greatest eateries, to come up from time to time and serve their specialties at Yankee Stadium for one night, and that night it was Fresco by Scotto's. And helping dish out the lasagna was Rosanna Scotto, whom I knew from TV News, which she anchored on the station for which I had once interned in college, which was a block from where I now lived. And we're chatting pleasantly about all that nonsense when all of a sudden a big man rushes over to her and does his best to whisper, but he's crying and talking louder than he thinks he is. And I realize he's Steve Sharippa from The Sopranos. I knew him instantly. He used to sit in the seats behind mine. I met Elaine Bracco through him. And by the way, you have not lived until you've taken the subway downtown from Yankee Stadium with Elaine Bracco. And now Steve Sharippa throws his arms around Rosanna Scotto, and he keeps saying, Jimmy's dead, Jimmy's dead, in Rome, in a hotel, Michael found him. I knew three things instantly. One, there was no chance Steve Sharippa was mistaken about Jimmy being dead, nor that the Jimmy he was talking about was somehow not James Gandolfini. James Gandolfini was dead. 
Two, I knew the Michael he meant was Gandolfini's teenage son. And three, I knew I was not supposed to know any of this. Rosanna Scotto looked at me in horror. And I said, I will say nothing. My condolences to both of you. They nodded. Sharippa said he was leaving the ballpark to go comfort their friends from the show. I don't know how many people knew at that point that James Gandolfini was indeed dead. Later, it turned out he had only been pronounced dead at 11 p.m. in Italy, 5 p.m. in New York, and it was maybe about 6.15. I checked Twitter on my phone. Nothing. I checked the major news websites. Nothing. It would be six weeks before I would be going back on the air for them, but technically I did work for ESPN already. And if you work for ESPN and you've just found out that one of the most famous actors in the world has died, you also work for ABC News. And I will confess, the thought flashed through my head, I should tell them, or at least I should warn them that it's coming. And I dismissed that idea just as quickly. There was a code to this. And the code was, if the death has not been announced, it's because not everybody who shouldn't find out from the damn news has found out yet. Period. We went through this when Tim Russert died. NBC was the last network to announce that Tim had passed away. I know. I was the anchor on MSNBC because we weren't sure everybody who needed to know already knew, and we waited until we were sure. I can't describe this feeling of knowing of this man's death. My girlfriend was with me at our two friends who had treated us to the game, and I had to tell somebody, so I took my girlfriend aside, and she looked at me kind of blankly because... Well, that's why it didn't last. And being an Italian from New Jersey, she was always kind of offended by the Sopranos anyway. So this left me with one of the most striking feelings of being alone of my entire life. I knew a tidal wave of sadness was coming, and I couldn't warn people. The Yankee game got underway, and still the news had not broken, and I kept wondering about warning ABC, and that's when I heard it, a kind of groan going around the ballpark. I checked Twitter again. The story had broken. Deadline Hollywood broke the embargo at 7.20 Eastern Time. Really, it was deadline. I really thought somehow I would feel better now that everybody else knew. I did not. I just flashed back to the waiting room at LAX. Like your work. I've done all the damage I can do here. This is where I ask you to rate and review the podcast. No, positively. The Countdown theme from Beethoven's Ninth, arranged, produced, and performed by Countdown musical directors Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. The guitars, the bass, and the drums by Brian Ray, produced by TKO Brothers. The other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. Our sports music, the ESPN2 Olbermann theme, written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Incorporated. Musical comments throughout by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was Stevie Van Zandt. That's Countdown for this, the 600th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. New episode tomorrow. Till then... I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck.
Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Dealing with pests can be a pain. But relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.